Um, so who has had or has teenagers in your house? Okay. Who's on the cusp? You're three to five years out. Okay. And then you work with them every day. So, I mean, they don't live in your home yet. But. So that whole, that whole time of life, what do you hear, what do you hear from the world? about the, being the parent of teenagers? What's the common theme? The struggle with independence. Okay. They'll eventually get there. What's the first thing they'll say to you? It's awful. Rebellion? I, it's like, good luck. Yeah. Have fun. Man, I'm glad I'm not you. And then they get to some of the deeper things about why. But it's almost always perceived as survival years. I think, in my dealings, it's always hope you survive that, hope you guys get through it. And, and I don't think it has to be that way. Come on to a table with people so that you can have discussion with people. We'll let you go. <laughs> Just to put you on the spot and make you feel comfortable and warm. <laughs> I, did it to, I did it to the person in front of you too, so. Trying to be consistent. You need to be consistent with teenagers too. Um, doesn't that make you feel younger? Right there. I'll leave you alone. Um, okay, so that's what the world basically does. The world goes into this whole cycle of buckle down, get ready for the war because the war is upon you. And, and I don't think it has to be that way. So, a couple open questions for, for the teenager. What are their challenges? What are they going through in these years? Kind of high-level core concepts of what do they have to deal with? Peer pressure. Most of us can go back and remember that. Most of us can. What else? Peer pressure is peer, peer pressure's almost a symptom of what they're actually going through. Some combination of not knowing how the world works and being scared about it and thinking they know how the world works and being wrong about it. I like that. I'm ready for it? No, I'm not. On a moment-by-moment, minute-by-minute basis. I want the freedom. Oh, my goodness, I like the security of home. I think constant change, um, and in that uh, everything is new. So as adults, I think sometimes we forget what it's like to have uh, new experiences because most of what we do, we've done before. Uh, whereas for a teenager, a lot of things are being expected of them very, very quickly, and uh, it's all new. And so it's something that's simple to us, like getting up in front of people and talking, or, and, or maybe not so simple, but something that we have done many, many times that's become part of our life, they have to do it for the first time, and they have to do it for the, a bunch of things for the first time, all within the matter of a very small amount of time. Yeah. One of my favorite um, training wheel lessons is can you go back up to the counter and ask for ketchup for us? What? Yeah. What? <laughs> I'm not, I don't need any ketchup. I do. <laughs> and especially Stuff in this small. day and age, call, the, call, somebody, the test, call yeah. somebody to ask a question. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> I don't always pass that one. Um, Charles. <laughs> so... Um, I don't know what you think about Disney movies, but there is one song in one particular movie that I think sums all of this up, and I'm not going to sing it, um, and I'm not going to quote all of it, but it's Mulan. And Mulan's looking in a mirror going, who is that person looking back at me? When will, when will my reflection be someone I know? And that really, I mean, 
that sums up, and this song goes bigger than that, but that sums up a lot of what teenagers are dealing with. Who am I? Who am I apart from my family? Who am I as an individual on my own that, oh my goodness, before I look over the horizon, I'm going to be on my own? So I think it's uh, a terrifying couple of years in, in ways. Peer pressure comes into that um, because they want to have a sense of belonging. And, and I'm jumping ahead, so I'm going I'm to hang out right there for a second. Any other thoughts? Like, who am I? Where am I going? That's very true. Very true. You know, my parents would say a lot of times when I was dealing with anything with peer pressure or anxiety over over doing the next thing that I'd never done before, they would just say, just be yourself. And that confused me so much because I didn't know yet. I didn't know, am I funny? Am I social? Am I introverted? I really didn't know yet because I had just been a child growing up. I didn't quite know how to be myself. And I remember asking them, well, what is that? And they would try to describe me to myself. And I didn't, some of it I didn't believe, you know, like, well, and you're always questioning, am I enough? Am I okay? Am I going to be okay? That's part of it. I like what David added to it. As you're, as you go through puberty and all of a sudden you're interested in the opposite sex and you still don't know who you are and what do you want in that potential partner for life? It's, it's a pretty complex time. How about as parents of teens, what, what are the challenges for you? And, and I'm going for, okay, there's the teen parent challenge, but there's other challenges the parent has typically by the time they have teens. Thoughts on that? That was a very wide open, unstructured. You're starting to drive, so that's very scary for a parent to let go of your child behind a wheel for the first time. I mean, it's just a yeah. starter. changing your physical things. I started early, early, early talking to them about purity. Early start talking to them. Put the heart, give them a heart for purity. Yep. And there was about guiding them uh, to make those big decisions on college and what to do with their life as far as job goes. I just felt when I was there, it was just like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I'm going to go to college because my parents say I need to and be general studies major. And it's just like, I don't know. And I, I would love to give my kids direction, but yet, how do you decide that at 18? It's just, it's nuts. And half of them don't know at 18, and they change their minds when they're 20 or 21, right? Can I go there for a second? So I changed my major year and a half in from chemistry to something else. Major, major challenge and issue for me. We were up till 1230. Friday night, Saturday night, one of those nights, Friday night, Thursday night, all, all week, um, talking about a major change for, for, for Laura. And, and whose decision was that? See, that's, it's, it's, it's the child's, the, the young adult's decision. It's not mine. I can guide. I can point. I don't have holistic, wide, I don't know what God knows. Um, how many still struggle with what am I supposed to be? And I do. I keep on saying, what do I want to be when I grow up? I'm running out of time. 
Um, and that goes a little bit to, I think, what the parents of te- parents of teens typically, you've, you've survived at least 12 years with your child. You're 12 years deeper into whatever um, vocation you've been into. Those complexities, vocational complexities, to me at least, got much more complex. And now you have a more complex individual in your house while the whole rest of your world got more complex at the same time. I would just say that what I found is that discipline, in, uh, if you have developed discipline into your young person, it's really important to continue it during their teenage years because discipline is the difference between accomplishing anything in life. If you have no discipline, your life is just, it, it, it's horrible. I think there's one more that, anybody have any other ideas? There's one more I want to float. That's a challenge for the parents. What do you think the key is for a parent in that particular area? Knowledge, education, figuring it out, looking, looking things up, trying to, trying to stay up. And, and in that, I'm driving, so you have to do that to go where I want to go, which is accountability. If you have accountability, um, like at work, at my office, you are insane to go anywhere you shouldn't go. and. For the most part, we blocked everywhere you shouldn't go anyway. But perchance, if you find a way through it, if you find a way through the blocks and the firewalls and look at something you shouldn't look at, guess what? It just popped up on somebody's log and you are headed to HR and you are out the door. No question. End of discussion. Write a stupid email. You're gone. Period. Accountability. Now, you don't do that with kids. You're gone. You're out of here. But... With all those electronic mechanisms, many of them have throttles you can turn on. Um, many of them have reporting sequences that you can, you can put up. And they should be open, that they know that that's there, not that I'm spying on the behind the scenes and they don't know that I'm looking at everything. The whole idea of accountability is you know that it's invisible. You know that it can be seen. And that is a massive help to stay away from areas that you shouldn't go into. It doesn't shut everything down because they're going to have friends and their friends aren't going to have all those balances and checks, but at least it, it helps. I was going to say, you know, I was told you're gone. You're leaving. I was just the opposite. I didn't have this opportunity to have Christian parents. But your children have friends. My parents leave. Yep. So there's a challenge from that side as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I was just going to say, like Ken said, the discipline and having rules, you know, you cannot have your 
I'm amazed at the parents that let their kids just have their phone on like long in their bedroom, you know, and it's like that was one of our things. Like you can't have it. You have to put it up a certain time every night because of school, whatever. You just don't need to be on it. Yeah. Just having guidelines, but it's a constant. It's almost like a part-time job. <clears throat> Can I clarify? Yes, I agree with you. I meant I meant self-discipline. Yeah, I knew training that. I knew training that. them to discipline yeah. themselves. Because it won't be long before you're not in that loop. Right. And they have to manage it on their own. You can't take their phone away when they're away at college. Right. They've got to come up with their own. Or if they're sitting in college with a, a, a roommate or two. The screens are up, the screens are live, the screens are active. You were going to say something. Um, you have to address it when your kids do something that takes your breath away and you're shocked and you think, oh dear, the parents need the discipline to march right in there, take care of it immediately, firmly, lovingly, with reconciliation. Yeah. And I think the confidence that we have, as, as different as today's environment is for teens, truth is truth and it does not change. And, and we can boldly tell them the truth that this is the path of blessing and this is the path of destruction, even though those paths look a little bit, well, the path of blessing doesn't look any different. The path of destruction looks different than it did in our high school years. I think what you said at the end is so important. A lot of times, I think the idea is when someone falls or fails, if they don't, every one of us has fallen and failed. And our Savior takes us where we were and offers us the forgiveness and renewal of the relationship. We have to give that to our kids and anybody who sins against us. There's the, if it's I sin and I fail and now I'm outcast, what, what hope is there then? There is no hope. And you've completely driven away at that point. Um, the other thing I was trying to get to in my, in my open questions, and we went in a good place, was the other challenge I think for parents is your main challenge in these years is to get them to where you can let go. And the fledgling goes off and takes flight. And that is difficult, not just for the ladies, that's difficult for the guys too. Uh, I don't know, maybe some guys are, glad you're out of my house, that's, that's not me. I don't think that's most of us. Um, and that's the challenge, that goal is to, I'm not gonna be the helicopter behind you the rest of your life with my guns armed. It's, off you go. So that was the pre that was the that was opening. <laughs> Let's get into this stuff here. So three key three key training objectives for this this time frame, and then we'll work on implementation next week. Um, fear the Lord. So um, a lot of we're gonna we're gonna spend a lot of time in Proverbs today. So Proverbs the first chapter, the fear of the Lord. Uh, this is verse seven. The fear <clears throat> of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Tell you what. If you're like me, you'd like to hear the whole outline. So fear of the Lord is the first one. Adherence to parental instruction is the second idea. And then disassociation from the wicked is the third. So fear of the Lord. In the book, we're hanging out in chapter 17 this, this week. And I wanted to read a couple sections here. Your teenager must be motivated by a sense of awe and reverence for God. You want the choices he makes to reflect a growing comprehension of what it means to be a God worshiper, since the question is not if, but what your child will worship. Think about that one again. They'll worship something, uh, whether they call it that or not. 
Since the question is not if, but what your child will worship, you must freely confront him with the irrationality of worshiping a lesser God. So that's a whole lot of, there it is. But the whole kernel of that is, play it forward, the day will come barring accidents or things that don't typically happen when you will not be on this planet and they still will be. At some point, you're disassociated from them. So they need to have their relationship with God and they need to understand that. Um, that goes to everything. As my two older boys launched, they were used to the rules of Charles's house, which were, there were a couple core rules, which are very biblical, and, and hey, don't argue with me if you don't like that, go argue with God. Then there were the addendums that were my rules. So they had to go to the addendums and go, is that going to be my rule? Why does dad think that way? Well, how should I think? How am I going to do that in my family? How am I going to do that in my search for a spouse? And they have to be secure in their relationship with God and what he's telling them. Because God's going to deal with them differently than he deals with me. Just like we're all different to some degree here or there. Um, different tolerances, different things that you're going to allow and not allow in your family. They have to come to that on their own and be convinced this is what God would have me do, not, Dad did it, so I'm going to do it. That, that doesn't go very far. Um, it might get to be, Dad did it, let me investigate that. I, at least I'm happy if they do that. Dad did it that way, let me see why. Eh, yes, no, and here's why. And they aren't responsible to me for that. They're responsible to God for that. that that's kind of that fledgling thing again. You, you're, I become an advisor when you want me to be. You're responsible to God. So how do, you, how do you really drive that fear of the Lord? That, that it, it's not me you need, you need to be trembling before. It's God you should tremble before. Any other ideas there? Thoughts? I also think in teaching them the fear of the Lord, teaching them the joy of the Lord, and, and that our relationship with Him is the most fulfilling relationship there is, and... You know, to let them know it's not, it won't be found, your fulfillment won't be found in a spouse, it won't be found in a career. We're made to worship, and when we worship God, that's the, be the biggest place of blessing. I remember getting up, well, my dad usually would wake me up. Um, I had a really early job, a first shift at a hospital, and, and sometimes I'd wake up early, or sometimes I would even just wake up in the middle of the night, and he, so, so many times... I walked in on him completely by himself, just bent over a chair, just praying and just having such a thriving, living relationship. And I wanted that. And watching him get that joy from being with Jesus made me want that. And I think sometimes we, if we've harped too much on the fear of the Lord and don't ever show him that the fear of the Lord is the the gateway to blessing that's it all it all comes back around to to fulfillment we're, like I said we're going to camp out in a lot of proverbs areas um, I was incented originally with the wrong reason for one of the best Bible studies I've ever done in my life the incent the incentive was hey I was I was in um, later high school years hey do all of this work and you'll get a free trip to Six Flags done let, tell me what I have to do. And it was multiple runs through Proverbs looking for different attributes. 
What's the attribute of the wise man? What's the attribute of the fool? And a couple other different variants. And that started, um, in my life at least, a, a, a first time in depth run through Proverbs with many, many reruns back through that over the years. There's a lot of, there's a lot of depth there and a lot for a teenager stepping onto the world scene to really, really take a hard look at. Um, so we're still in the first verse, first chapter here, but if we jump to eight and nine, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a, gracement ornament, a graceful ornament on your head. And here I wanted to read highlights off of 193. So if you're the child and you're reading that, that's one thing. If you're the parent reading that, that's a, it's a taller order for us, right? So here's what I think the parents need to keep, keep in mind. You don't need to be perfect. You simply need to be people of integrity who are living life in the rich, robust truth of the word of God. Perfection is not something we're going to be this side of heaven but to be real about your imperfections, to deal with them appropriately, to, to, to be an example in front of it, that when I mess up, yes, you're my child, but I'm still gonna ask you forgiveness and, and reset the relationship because it goes both ways. I mess up, they mess up. I need to, to live out in front of them how you handle that and what you do with that. Um, it was always amazing to me. I, I mentioned that I, I worked with my dad for the first two years out of college. And it probably took me the first year out of college to actually get a little bit of wisdom and understand that my dad, who's totally different from me, from a, how he interfaces with people, he is a people person, he could talk to one of the walls till we all went home and turned out the lights. That's not me, I'm more analytical. It, it was a sales job, it was financial planning. Um, his whole approach to the world was, we're gonna build a relationship and that's why you're going to invest with me. Mine was, they need to understand what they're doing. Here's, here's the products. Here's what meets their needs. And, and it took me the first year to go, Charles, he's built a successful business that you're now stepping in to help out with. You're struggling and fighting against what makes him a success. And the second year, I stepped back and, and had a much more appreciation of who my father really was. He wasn't, uh, he was much more intelligent than I thought he was. He just processed things differently than I did. And, and that was a big aha moment in my life that I think God had to hit me with a metal hammer many times on the head um, to kind of get through my thick skull. So I, I had a, he and my mom were both valued counselors to us, um, to me and then us as a couple. Um, rarely would they come and push unasked. I don't remember of a time where they would push unasked. But when asked, okay, you want to hear it? Here's some ideas you need to work on. That's our ultimate role, is to be there and to actually be tapped every once in a while, um, but not to press in. So the last one, and this is where I think we, we probably spend a good bit of time, the disassociation from the wicked. So Proverbs, um, Proverbs 110. I'm going to read. I'm going to read 19 verses here, real quick. I want you to, as I read the verses, think about what's the underlying offer. What, what's what's the um, what's the draw as this is being played out for the individual? My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. 
If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like shell and whole like those who go down to the pit. And we shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast your lot in among us. Let us have one purse. I'm going to pause right there. What's the sell? What's the attraction for the son who people are coming and saying this to? What's the call? Be part of the group. Belonging. It's not so much the spoils. It's not so much the here's what we're going to get. It's come, come with us. Be part of our group. Be one of the gang. In this case, probably gang. <laughs> so the admonition after all that is, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain, it takes away the life of its owners. So just like sin always presents, here's something that's desirable. The second half of this is, here's what you pay for that. Here's the price that comes. And it comes later, and it comes harder. But it's there nonetheless. So again, the real offer was belonging. What was the danger? There's the offer. There's what you can have. What's it going to cost you? Anybody? Read the, read the bumper sticker. Just think it's sin is pleasurable for a season. <clears throat> Go ahead, the bumper sticker, Heather. Yeah, in, in the book, he, he said there, there's a, a popular bumper sticker, Smile, God Loves You. He wants to re- make a, one that replaces it, Tremble, God is a Consuming Fire. <laughs> and I think, I think we as people tend to, especially in those years of learning who we are, we want the sense of belonging more than we want the you know, the path of blessing, it just seems so far off and not right now. Um, But we don't remember that the consequences begin, you know, in that moment. Sidebar there, how many of you have read through a passage that you've read who knows how many times before, and all of a sudden, wow, that's, I didn't see that before. Even though it, it, how did you not see that before? What I'm talking about is an actual verse it says what it says. It's not like I got great depth below that. So all those times through Proverbs, I've been through it many, many times, and the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, beginning of wisdom, fear of the Lord, blah, 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 blah. And finally I found in one of the Proverbs what the definition of the fear of the Lord was. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, to see it as God sees it. So, so there is the, the rightful, do I have an awe and respect for the God who, who, who gives me my next breath? That's one type of fear. But the other part is also, do I see the world the way he sees it? Do I hate evil enough to not even want to go near it? We typically want to go, where's the line? And we'll walk up to the line so we can get as close to it and enjoy, without going into it, be close. Be like everybody else, but not tip over. That's, that's a typical human tendency. And God's saying, no, hate it like I hate it. Don't go anywhere near it. This, uh, this particular issue goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And it's really when we see Adam and Eve, Lucifer's tempting them with community, being part of something that they think you know, they need. 
So if belonging is a big hunk of what that newly budding adult needs and wants, what do you do? They're still in the house, they're still in their mid-teens. How do you practically help them with that? I'm And, and that's not always in the youth group, honestly. We've had, our, we're, we're working on our fourth child now going through a youth group. Sometimes you have a thriving, loving, inclusive youth group. And I'm just talking about nothing with the youth pastor, but the, the children, the teens in it. And sometimes you don't. And to teach the children that that's not the only source of community in the church, that you can have rich thriving relationships with people in all different age groups that's that's a good thing too and then also that they always have a community at home always and that means you can't be too busy to drop what you're doing and um, give a hug or give a talk or or whatever and I remember can I can I share an example real quick sure. um, I did go through a time of rebellion and in my heart it wasn't you know, hardcore rebellion that we typically think of, but it was definitely that pull of the world in high school. And um, I, my parents didn't want me to date yet, and yet I kind of singled out this this guy, and I were kind of everybody knew we were a couple. And um, when it came close to dating, I I said I I told him the standards that I needed to have for dating, and within two weeks he was done with me. And that was grieving. It was grieving and the feeling of rejection. And I remember my mother coming in and saying, why is this so hard for you? And I said, he was the only one that really showed affection to me. And it, that broke her heart. She said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, when I got to be teen, you, you didn't really hug me anymore. You didn't show that affection. And, it, and we tend to do that. We tend to think they're too big for that. But they need it, and some children need more physical touch than others. But we don't need to shy away from. It's the same child that was that cute little baby. It's the same child. They're just in this awkward teen body now. You still need to hug them. You need to grab them. You need to tell them that you love them and that you're on their team. And you know, a lot of times when there's been a a conflict, and sometimes it's my fault. Sometimes I'm being uh, irritable or whatever one phrase that Laura and Ryan and I say to each other is are we okay we'll just go to the, the person's room or go to the kitchen wherever the other person is and just when you're alone are we okay and talk through whatever we just went through that made us feel awkward to to keep that awkwardness away and keep it um, healthy healthy relationship so that plays to, to what I was going to read here. The most powerful way to keep your children from being attracted by the offers of camaraderie with the wicked is to make home an attractive place to be. Bring your friends over here. Are you comfortable with your teens bringing their friends over, even if some of those friends aren't saved and they don't have the exact same standards you do, but your house is the hangout house. Your house is the house where they come to be influenced 
not vice versa, where they're going over to the house that has no standards and doesn't know God and, and being influenced in that area. So how do you make your home open, bring them in, and make it a place of ministry for them? Um, other thoughts in that area? Can you get me back to that chapter, the last questions? I, I want to go one other place. <coughs> And then we're going to kind of throw questions to the tables and let you guys talk about them and let the table tell us what you came back with. Um, Heather mentioned it already, but this is out of Hebrews 12. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Um, a lot of Hebrews is looking back to a very quick synopsis of the whole path from Moses and all of that and what happened, Mount Sinai and the rebellion of the children of Israel and, and God's consuming of them. You get halfway through that, through that chapter and you get to 22 through 29. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth. Again, Jesus in his ministry, God speaking the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. If you refuse him who spoke on the earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now has promised saying, yet once more I shall shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, but things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. God's attributes don't change. We live in, a, in, a, in, a, in an age of grace. God is still just. And, and, I, and our preaching should hit all of that. We do serve a God who's a concerning fire. We have Christ in between us and that fire. We should rightfully fear God and lovingly thank him for what he's done for us. And all of that's a, a balance that, that we need to impart to our kids as they launch into a world who thinks nothing of God. In fact, thinks thinks you're pretty much stupid and crazy to go that path. Any other thoughts before I get into assignments? Yeah, we're going to do, I'm going to try to do this in five minutes. One, two, three, four tables. Four and a half tables. So how about here we do, what are the negotiable issues that would, would enable your team to express independence from you in constructive ways? What's negotiable so that they can express their independence in, in um, constructive ways? Good? A lot of words there. Drew's table. Do you discern any rebellion that may be linked to earlier mistakes in your parenting what can you do to open the discussions? The example in the book was the author saw a four-year-old publicly rebuked and the four-year-old clamped down, really angry, but held it in because he wasn't old enough to rebel. And so shock when he became a teenager, boom, there blossoms the rebellion. So to your table, um, 
how do you discern that that may be happening when they're young so that it's not a shock when they get old enough to really start challenging? Clear? Somewhat clear, buddy? Back table. Are you comfortable with helping your child see God as awesome and fearful? Because I don't think we spend much time on that. Yes, he's graceful, and yes, he gives us everything we need. But there's a reason for that grace, and that's that he's an awesome and fearful God. Um, so how do you explore that with your child? Good? And... I have five to choose from for you guys. You guys can start while I figure out these guys. How about what would be some profitable Bible study um, projects for your kids as they approach that age? You want an alternate? You, okay, I'll give you an alternate. What can you do to provide a sense of belonging for your kids? Okay, we'll go in order of how I assign them because um, you guys didn't have quite as much time. This table. What would you like? What'd you come up with? You know, hobbies, sports, interests. Um, you know, but the, the, the things that they're individually good at, kind of using their talents and growing you know, with them. And then a lot of times when they're doing something like that, that's um, you know, other people who are kind of like that and kind of can build a community as well. You know, a lot of times once you've got... This isn't something we talked about today, sorry. Um, well, once, you know, once you have loving God and hating evil in your heart, it bugs you to be around people who love evil and hate God. Uh, and so a lot of times, you know, you'll find the, the people in their activity area who love God. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So if you have a daughter who loves ballet, don't have her cuddle up next to you to watch a three-hour football game. <laughs> um, I'm not sure we 100% understood the question, but um, as far as like how sure to sure like, rebellion is happening uh, with young children, which is what we currently have, um, uh, our son, Miles, uh, growls. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's upset. And apparently, the Amessi girls used to act like kittens and sort of have the same cat like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, those would be some good indications. <laughs> that, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, tantra, you know, it's all rebellion, right? I mean, it's all like they're, you're not doing what I told you to do. You're rebelling. Do y'all know that Pastor Marshall used to foam at the mouth? <laughs> That's what he did. Really? I have it from Gretchen. Yes. Right. He foamed at the mouth. Um, so the. <laughs> And it's also I can't, I can't imagine any parent being surprised when their teenager is is rebellious. Like, how could that possibly not have happened up to that point? Or I, that, I, how could that possibly come as a surprise? I think the surprise comes in that they have always acquiesced to me because they didn't feel powerful enough to not. So in those four, five, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, well, we, which, we which is thrive empowering our children. So an example in my household, my growing up household, my eldest sister was um, the one willing to challenge the status quo. I saw what that got her. So I didn't challenge the status quo. I was just as bad. I just wasn't going to go flaunt it in front of my parents. 
So it was quiet. It was that just didn't seem. I, I'm going to do it a way that seems much more profitable to me, which was just as sinful, but it was just a different way. So I sorry. I, we could probably camp out. I should do these earlier. This table. We talked about consequent teaching consequences and letting you know they don't have to make all these mistakes. They pulling illustrations from other people or their situations and show them how those consequences play out. I wish I could. If people could get the idea of you can learn from my mistakes without doing them, life would be so much easier. I I I thought I did that a lot in my life, but. Gee, I still made a lot of mistakes and had to learn from them. But that's the key, if you can really get them to see the light there. Well, I think they tend to, at least in my boys, they tend to respond better. Like, I could say don't do this and here's why, but if they see a peer do it, and people are saying Yeah, because we were like, we came off the ark. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right, if they can see it near term around them. I will say that as we started to date, um, I was 22, she was 17, and that caused me enough pause right there. But there was a similar couple, a year in front of us, six months in front of us, who did it, did it wrong, and messed up big time. And um, that was true before I went to her dad and asked if I could start dating her. You talk about trembling and holding on to stuff. Um, to your point, if you see it fresh and in front of you, that's a little bit different than Back in the day, how about this? T Sorry, just get. I think there's an element that we ought to consider as well. God put this journey in front of us, and this journey is going to uh, allow individuals the ability to fail, and we should expect it. And kind of what the Drew was saying earlier, you know, having someone do something, I just didn't see that coming. Well, I think that's one of the fundamental things you got to get in your mind. Hey, look, anything can happen. Yeah. Anything can happen. We have a sin nature that we're fighting against, and so let's be motivated to do the best job we can, recognizing that God knows the best that we can do with our help from Him. And still, we still have an individual that has to make a choice. Yeah. And I've right, wrote table, a note sorry. we're going to get back to, because I want to hear what Chloe yeah, one of the ways we thought up to help uh, make them feel like they belong is just being approachable as you go over the rules and different issues in the house, just trying to show them that you're in it together and you're on the same team. Yeah, what, I know what my older kids always loved is, you know, the first one was the experimental child and they knew it as they got older. Then the second born comes on, the third born comes on, and then the first two are going, we didn't get to do that at that age. No, you didn't. I didn't know as much as I know now, so get over it. Um, so I'm going to wrap. We're late. Um, next week, I've already got one reminder out. Skip, if you could help me remember as well. Let's talk about what about kids who are growing up and their families aren't Christians and they, be, they become part of your orbit. Um, what do you do for them? What if half of your life was, was really not Christian and, and the kids were brought up in that and you came along somewhere in the middle of raising your family of, oh, here's who Christ is and here's what that means to us. Is all lost? No, it's not. So we'll, we'll try to camp out there a little bit too. So thank you very much. I know it's late.